everybody, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge. It is February 2nd, 2012, and today we are finishing up our series on session playing, and I'm going to put myself under the microscope and analyze sort of what it is that I do, and also try to tie in some of these things that the other guys have said on the other shows. So, uh, let's get to, let's get to it. All right, so guitar playing. First question for myself is, how do I go about picking a guitar and an amp for a song? Put simply, uh, you know, I could go into serious detail about this, and I've tried to revise what I'm going to say multiple times, but put simply, basically I will go first for a guitar that I like the feel of, a guitar that's set up well, new strings, etc., and then sort of one that matches first the genre of the song so you know a single coil sounds great in a lot of genres but like in metal sometimes a single coil doesn't work you know metal often a big beefy guitar with uh emgs or something like that works great um or for maybe just rock stuff single coil or humbucker but then a certain certain like more alternative like foo fighters green day or anything with the sort of big anthem type guitars um you know Humbucker usually works great for those. So it varies. First, I'll look at the genre and just kind of figure out, you know, the feel of the guitar, you know. So, oh, I need sort of a big, beefy guitar on this, so I'll grab a guitar with a humbucker. If that's if that doesn't work, then I sort of listen to the rest of the band and just kind of figure out, you know, do I have room to be bright on this guitar? So, like, if the cymbals are playing a lot, maybe a single coil would just be too bright. Now, sometimes I, I listen to the vocals and kind of listen to what goes the best with the vocals. But again, a lot of it is sort of about filling out the whole track with guitars. Guitars take up a big chunk of most rock tracks. You know, you got bass, drums, and vocals as your primary chunk. But then the guitars are often a sort of big filler that can go in so many ways. They can be big, they can be small, they can be bright, dark. Generally, I find that it works really well to listen to the band without yourself and don't listen to your guitar in solo. Do not listen to it in solo because if you got a good amp and a good guitar, it's pretty much going to sound good anyway. So it's trouble sometimes to listen to the... You have to be really critical. You know, you have to... If you plug up and, uh, you know, you're playing along to the song or whatever and you're saying, man, this sounds too beefy, don't automatically think you know you're just going to eq it later like people totally underuse the eq knobs on their amp they need to be switching those things all around messing with those tweaking them all up because they interact with the gain structure of the amp so much better than using an eq later they're designed to shape the sound of the amp there another thing that i will will say is that selecting a cab takes a huge toll on the sound um Smaller cabs generally will have less low end and will also fit in a lot of tracks better. 112s and stuff like that generally fit in, in tracks really well. Another thing that helps guitars fit in tracks is closed back cabinets. I find that a lot of closed back cabinets, especially 412s, 212s, will they, they naturally have a tighter low end because of something called free air resonance. When you have a closed back cabinet, it basically, for lack of complicated explanation um it basically shifts sort of the harmonics of the cabinet upward about an octave so that rather than sort of a thuddy thuddy low end you have more of a punch low end 
And so you, you know, with a with an open back cabinet, you have this sort of big, soft, cushy low end that sounds so good on clean guitars, but on distorted guitars, it can sometimes get a little cushy, like it doesn't sound very tight. But on a four twelve or a two twelve closed back, um, man, it generally has this tight sound that is just unmistakable, and it fits in tracks really well. It's a lot more controllable than a than a open back. Another thing is that four twelve cabinets sometimes do the genre better than anything else i know that for anything that's got like foo fighters type guitars or whatever um or or especially metal 412s are the way to go like i cannot stress enough that like especially in metal you cannot get that sound unless you use a 412 and that's for the first reason i said about the freer resonance but also because um you have so much wattage in a 412 cabinet that you're basically getting zero speaker breakup so you know you might have a cabinet with 240 watts and a head that's only 50 watts. Um, so you're getting very very minimal speaker breakup and you're getting serious headroom and serious punch from those pickups because the speakers have a lot of way to go and so they they will allow for these sharp sharp transients and and they just get punchy punchy sounds. You know if you try to do metal with a 212 or if you try to do metal with a two, even a 212 closed. It just doesn't always get the sound, and I've found that, ne- for me at least, I've never gotten a, a really good metal sound from a 212. I've gotten close, but I just you got to use a 412, in my opinion, for that stuff. If you want punch, close back. If you want more punch than that, close back 412. Now, for cleans, open back for me all the way. Open back 212s are my favorite, or 112s, or 115s can sound great, too. You know, you you have to listen to the track. Listen to the. Uh, what I usually do is I sort of listen to the track altogether, and I just kind of hear what spot I need to fill. Generally, what you'll find is the bass and the drums take care of most of your low end. So a lot of guitar players will, you know, come in the studio with these big sounding amps. They're like, man, it sounds huge. It sounds awesome. But the engineer's looking around saying, yeah, good job. Good luck fitting in this track. I'm going to have to put a high-pass filter all over you, and, and you're going to lose all that low end. So it'd be better to get a tighter low end that has more of a a carved out sound than getting this huge cushy low end that you can't even control. Now, there is some def- some something definitely to be said about recording as some say DC delight, which means the lowest lows to the highest highs. Um and that's that's great, but I will say that adjusting the cabinet, adjusting the EQ on the amp, adjusting the guitar will make such more of a significant tone improvement than just putting a high pass filter on it that you know your guitar tracks will seriously shine if you spend spend 30 minutes I challenge you 30 minutes listening to the song and testing out different amps that's all you need 30 minutes like don't I don't I don't require anything more just give it a shot and you'll and you'll learn something now if you don't have different amps this is one of the main reasons these uh, guitar amp simulators are so popular Spend 15 or 20 minutes going through the presets of closed back, open back cab. You'll notice. You'll notice a difference in a track. Generally, 412s will fit better. 212s fit great. Sometimes 212s open open back can, can sound a little too boomy. Um, these amp simulators usually don't have much power anyway. They usually don't sound that big, which sometimes does allow them to fit in a track a little better, but they still don't sound nearly as good as the real thing.
yet another reason so many people use the SM57 for recording, because it doesn't have a big cushy low end. Um, it, it really is a mid-rangey mic, and it sounds great on guitars because it, it helps guitars, yet another thing that helps guitars fit in the mix. So uh, anyway, that's how I sort of go about picking a guitar and a cab. So if I got a guitar that feels good, fits the genre, and fits sort of the frequency content of the song, and then I match that with an amp that also does that, and then an amp that also matches just the the hole that needs to be filled in the song, and adjust with the uh, speakers and everything, and the, and and get the right cab, and then adjust the EQ on the amp. I'm usually golden. One thing I will say about the amps before we move on is generally in recording you need a lot less gain than you think. The more distortion that you add, the more compressed your sound gets, and you get no punch, you get no clarity. And it also sort of muddies up the mid-range, and it definitely muddies up the upper mids, which just sort of clash with the vocals, and you cannot fix it. You can't fix it. Um, you can try to EQ it, but you just don't, you can't get it back. It was recorded with too much gain and you need to record it again. So be careful of how much gain you're putting on it. I would generally say, you know, the faster the song is, the less gain you need. And the slower the song, like if it's more of a ballad type song, you need a little more gain to sort of hold the chords out, you know, so and, and you have some sustain to the guitar. But if the... Um, song is a little bit uh, faster, you generally want a little bit less gain, especially even for metal. Like I use a lot less gain in metal than you might think, um, but it, it ends up sounding huge because I use a 412 cabinet and I use just enough gain to make the the chugs sound good. So I'm I basically will turn the gain way down and I'll have them play chugs, like low open chugs, and just slowly turn it up until those start to sound good. And when those sound good, I stop. Any more than that, and it's usually too much gain. And when you double track guitars, which you pretty much always do in metal and rock, so you have a guitar on the left, guitar on the right, the distortion sort of piles up on itself, and it seems a little more apparent. Um, so you don't need as much gain when you double track, and generally you're going to double track. Anyway. So, next question is, you know, how do I go about picking parts? It's kind of a similar process to me to picking an amp. You listen to the song and you listen to what frequency holes are not there. Like, you really listen to what's in there right now, you know, especially if there's a guitar taking, like an acoustic guitar or piano taking up a lot of room. You generally will just need to listen to what part of the the guitar you're going to be filling up. And, uh, and what your role is. Guitarists a lot of times have the biggest egos of all, and they need to learn to let those drop and just, just play what the song needs. I was playing at a gig uh, in the last couple months, and I was playing with another guitar player there. And, uh, you know, to me, I can always tell when there's a guitar player that is is inexperienced because not that they're not good. The, he, you know, he's got, he, he had great chops and he could play some great stuff. But the inexperienced guitar player will play way too much. Way too much. Um, you know, the inexperienced guitar player will basically play lead over the whole song. Now, I'm not talking about someone whose music is like Steve Vai. I'm talking about someone who plays in a band where there's a singer. And there are people that will basically play lead the whole song. And it's like 90% of the time that doesn't work. Rhythm is always more important than lead. And I'm I'm a lead guitar player. I love playing lead, but I'm saying this from a logical standpoint. Rhythm is so much more powerful than lead. Um, and 
leads when saved for a good spot in the song can sound massive. But if you just play little licks the entire song, it just gets so annoying and so old. I think probably the main person to blame this whole trend on is The Edge. Because The Edge plays lead basically the whole song. However, The Edge is the only guitar player in U2. He can get away with that. He can get away with playing a lot. Um, And he doesn't just play leads. I mean, he plays very, very cool chords. A lot of the times, that's his sound. Um, So... A lot of guitar players just think, oh man, I want to be like The Edge, and they'll play, but they don't realize, okay, there's no other guitar work going on. When there's another guitar, you immediately have to like cut your work in half, if not more. Um, so guitar players generally just play too much. In the studio, live, a lot of places. They need You need to really learn, as a guitar player, to listen to the band and really listen to what's going on. And and I can guarantee you, you have, you'll have better results. You'll get callbacks on sessions. Less is more. Less is more. Less is more. I can't say that enough. You know, how do you learn to play less but still make it sound awesome? Well, first, check your ego at the door. And second, just learn good voicings that make the song really fit. So, you know, you can play like little lead things. But when in doubt, if you don't know when to play... There's a great old saying called play the holes. What that means is do not play a lead line or anything resembling a lead line when the vocalist or another lead instrument is playing. Do not do it. Like, I don't know why some guitar players insist on playing lead even while the vocalist is singing. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like the song is about the vocals. People listen to songs because of vocalists, generally. And like I said, none of this applies if you're like a in, instrumental sort of rock thing, like Steve Vai or you know John Petru- John Petrucci or uh, Paul Gilbert or something. Like that. And none of this applies to those people because that is the lead instrument. That's the leading voice. The guitar is, but in a rock song, what's the leading voice? The human voice. So let the human voice lead. Um, you know, listen to the song and 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 just realize your place. Um, I will say that a lot of the secret to picking parts is just being a good guitar player. You'll get better at it. You'll pick things. You'll find riffs and licks that you can put in every now and then that aren't distracting. Um, you know, like a well-placed lick at a turnaround section or a well-placed lick in an intro, well-placed lick at the end of a verse can be so much more powerful than just like little tiny licks after every vocal phrase. Like, that's just annoying. It really is. Like, for me as a producer, listening to someone's mix or whatever, listening to someone's band, and the guitar player is just playing just little noodly things the whole time or, or, or just really sort of repetitive, distorted, like, dotted eight stuff. It just is annoying. It, it does not support the vocal. It stands out as a lead. That's the thing. You always have to look back. Does it support the vocal or does it distract me from the vocal? That's that's sort of the golden question. If it doesn't support the vocal, it's probably wrong. If it distracts you from the vocal, it's definitely wrong. If it's in between, play around with some things. All right, next question is, what microphones do I generally use to record guitars? This is, uh, this is sort of an interesting one. Um, electric guitars generally get a dynamic mic, 
sometimes a ribbon mic, uh, sometimes a condenser in the room. 57s are great. Can't beat them. Um, well, you can beat them on some things, but for 100 bucks, come on. Um, RE20s, I love RE20s. Electro Voice RE20s, they sound amazing on guitars. MD421s can sound pretty good on guitars. It has to be the right guitar, though. I, I've i just never been a huge fan of MD421s on guitars, but they do work, and when they do work, they sound great. Um, let me think. Cascade makes some great ribbon mics. Fathead 2 sounds awesome. I love it. Uh, the Royer R101 sounds awesome. And uh, I'm sure you can find demos of any of these online. And, uh, you know... I love, let me think, sometimes weird mics on guitar, like sometimes I'll put like a 414 on there, it's not super weird, but it's a little, it's a little off the wall, you put a pad on, on, uh, on the amp and, or on the, on the mic, excuse me, and then you put it right up next to the cab, maybe six inches away, get a little bit of depth out of it, so that, that's sort of the mic if you want a little more depth out of the cab, and, uh, it's not always going to be super bright. Like, don't always assume that a condenser is going to be super bright on a cabinet. Sometimes, if you space the mic back from it, it'll get sort of this, or or even put it really close, but then put it on the side of the speaker. Then you know you really don't get this sort of sort of brittle high end that you might expect. Um, it's good to experiment, but generally for me, you know, uh, SM7. That's another one that sounds really good on guitar cabs. Generally, a dynamic mic does it for me. Fits really well on a track. Doesn't get too woofy or anything. Uh, I really like ribbon mics for clean guitars and for leads. And uh, also any distorted guitar that I want to sound a little more dirty. Like I want it to sound a little more thick and rich. Uh, I'll, I'll use a ribbon for that. Room mics vary anything. Any large diaphragm tube mic I love on, on room mic for guitars if I want uh, sort of a room sound 10 feet back. Sometimes even more. Um, I've, I actually have had success too with uh, doing some interesting mic setups with 212s and 412s. So, like, uh, I remember a 212 setup I did where I put a tube mic about three feet away and just facing the center of the cab. I put a 57 on one speaker and I put a ribbon mic on the other speaker. And I remember that sounding really good. And I just, I didn't, you know, choose one or the other i blended them all three together and i really liked the sound of that that sounded really interesting um you got to be really careful with your phase relationship again the placement of the mic is a lot more important than what mic you use a 57 will sound great in probably 10 different places out of the thousands that you can choose you know you can if you factor in the fact that you can put it on axis meaning perpendicular to the speaker or off-axis, meaning angled at the speaker, and then you can move it left and right, in and out, up and down. I mean, the possibilities are pretty crazy. And uh, you can re- really find a spot that fits th- the song really well and gets a unique tone. I would say try to avoid always just sticking up a 57 at the cone or like 45 degrees or whatever and just and just saying, oh yeah, that sounds good. Because it's, it's nice to experiment sometimes. It's nice to get different tones. I will say for me, I've found that if I'm working on lower gain guitars, experimenting with mics is a little easier. Higher gain guitars generally start to sound muddy anywhere other than 
a cut, like an inch or two away from the center, facing at the center. They'll start to sound pretty muddy and not always pleasing to the ear. Um, so you know, experiment with the mics. And uh, you know, as far as preamps go, Neve preamps, Vintec preamps, both of those sound awesome on guitars. Wow. Um, if I want a little bit darker sound, I'll go for an API. Sometimes APIs sound really great on um, uh, cleaner guitars. If I want sort of a thicker, richer guitar, I'll use the Universal Audio. Um, and, you know, you don't have to have these expensive preamps or whatever. You can use a lot of different things. If you've got a good preamp, you know, sitting around, you know, the preamp, again, it's it, the engineering itself is a lot more important than the gear you use. You can use a cheap preamp and a $100 SM57 and spend 10 minutes working with a mic position and spend an hour or two working with the guitar, making sure the guitar's set up, making sure the player's comfortable, making sure the amp's good, making sure it's turned to the right volume, making sure the gain is right, and you can get seriously amazing results. I guarantee you that. But you got to take the time. And even with great gear, you still got to take the time. Um, doesn't mean you get off the hook. It just sort of gives you a little bit of an advantage. Anyway, so another question is, how do I go about sort of layering guitars in a project? Because a lot of times guitar projects, rock songs will have lots of guitars in them. I would say generally what I always do is I'll lay down a left and a right guitar. So, you know, a left guitar would be as if I had a guitar player on the left of the stage and a, you know, right guitar is, you know, same guitar player on the right side of the stage. I'll almost always do a left and a right guitar. Then I kind of just listen to that and I'll listen to the song a lot. And if I feel like maybe the intro or the chorus needs another guitar, I might throw in a third one. And again, those first two are very much, they're very similar rhythm guitar parts. They're very similar sounds sometimes i don't even change anything about them generally i'll you know switch to another pickup or sometimes even change to another guitar or another amp um but you know it's it's a main rhythm and a double and then if i add another guitar third or fourth guitar i'm usually playing very very sparse stuff and i'm usually playing a lot less in general like rather than playing chords that are like bar chords i'm playing like one two three four note things usually not even four usually two note chords um that usually seems to do it for me like two notes uh like we talked about earlier it can it can work really well if you play just a couple of notes and, and blend it in underneath um another good thing that works well is like octave mutes where you do like uh you know for example second fret on the a string and fourth fret on the g string is a b and then you mute the center string with your with your first finger and then you have this octave b b and then play sort of around with those in harmony with the rest of the guitars those usually work really great in recording um and you know sometimes i'll layer clean and distorted parts together that can sound really cool sometimes a lot of times i don't go overboard with the guitars especially if i'm the one doing the session but like even when other people come in and they're recording stuff like i don't sit around and do 30,000 guitars for their tr for their track i usually want it to sound pretty realistic as if i've got the players actually on stage and you know no band is going to have like like five guitar players on stage like even bands that really really get at it they they might have 3 
but five, no. So be mindful of that. Really be careful about how many guitars you actually layer. Um, it, it's, it can sound cool sometimes, but generally it's just overkill. People are putting more and more track counts into their songs, and it's like, I love the quote from Steve Albini, who does a lot of, uh, he does a lot of rock stuff. You know, if you can't make a record in 24 tracks, then I don't know what you're doing. And uh, it, it's so true because it's like he records on all tape, and it's like, what can you possibly, what can you possibly want to add? that will take up, you know, hundreds of tracks. I mean, on when we talked to Mark Endert on the interview, he said he had a session with like 160 tracks. I mean, they recorded so many things they didn't even commit to anything. You know, they recorded snare top, bottom, side, and then they, you know, recorded tom top and bottom and tom top and bottom, tom top and bottom. They recorded stereo overheads, mono overhead, hi-hat mic, uh, ride mic, you know, uh, everything. And then they rec- you know, they'd record four or five mics on a guitar cabinet and then, you know, let him pick the right one. And it's like, man, that's that's a little annoying. That's actually really annoying. So, anyway, uh, my advice is to just just listen to the song and, and don't add more than you have to. Like, it can get really cluttered really quick. So, next question that I usually I, I get a lot about sort of guitar playing in general is you know how do you train your ear to listen more to like what to play I know it sounds like really simple but just listen to music like listen to your favorite bands and see what the guitars do and I can probably tell you that they're not playing lead the whole song they're probably playing chords why generally songs are not about the guitarist um, you know, if you you have to know your place. If you like, let's say uh, Joe Satriani, but you're playing in a band that sounds more like Guns N' Roses, okay. Well, just because you like Joe Satriani does not mean that you're now playing in Joe Satriani's band. You might be playing in a Guns N' Roses type band. So if there's a vocalist, you got to step back and step out of the way. Now. Guns N' Roses, there's a lot of guitar playing. So generally, there'll be like riffs in and out. And a lot of times, they're like call and response with the vocals. So there'll be a vocal line and then there'll be a riff. That's one thing. But, uh, you know, listening to the arrangement is so important. Learning to listen, learning to be a humble guitarist is one of the most important things. And also just knowing the guitar, like knowing the guitar up and down so that you know your strengths and weaknesses, that you really know what you can do on the guitar and what you can't. Um, That's really, really important. So um, another question that I often get about recording guitars is what processing do you do on guitars in the mix? Well, I know that for leads, I will generally compress leads. Um, And I will generally compress clean guitars. I almost never, almost never, sometimes, compress distorted guitars, like rhythms. Why? I just don't feel like they need it. Like, they're already kind of a block. Now, you do have to look at the waveform and listen to it and, and hear how much punch is in there. If it's if it's like a really punchy part with a lot of stops and stuff, maybe you should compress it just a little bit. Um, but, but even then, just tapping it, one decibel, one and a half, two you know, just enough to control it. Like, I would say two decibels max on distorted guitars. 
For leads, it can go a little differently. Leads can kind of sustain a little more, uh, you know, compression and squeezing. Squeezing um, cleans definitely can sustain quite a bit of compression and still sound really good. Sometimes cleans that are compressed a lot sound better than cleans not compressed at all, but not always. Um, I will generally do EQ as a means of carving the guitars into the track. Guitars tend to fight the vocals the most out of any other instrument. And so EQ, I'm very careful with my EQs. I experiment a lot with guitar EQs. I love Neve EQs. I love the uh, Trident A-Range plugin from Softube. I love the uh, API EQs from Waves. I love just the Nuendo EQ. I, I mix a Nuendo, and just the channel Nuendo EQ sounds really good. Um, sometimes, if the guitar was recorded not as I'd like, or if I wasn't the one to record it or whatever, I, a Waves linear multiband can save a guitar sound sometimes. Another thing I will say, you know earlier I did say you can't fix over gritty guitars. There is one thing you can do, and that's use a de Sometimes you can put a de-esser on a guitar track really high up, 7, 8K, and, and de-ess the guitar sound if it's a little bit too gritty, and, and it can help sometimes. Um, I do notice that a little more in leads that were recorded. Like, it's a little less noticeable in leads. Like, if you do a lead guitar that was too distorted and it's a little too fizzy, a de-esser can really help. Or a linear multiband can also really help without without making it sound too, like, altered. Um... But other than that, one of my biggest things with guitars is just understanding which ones are going to be up front and which ones are going to be pushed back in the mix. So a lot of times on guitars, I'll, I'll do like short delays. I do a lot of short delays. And so a lot of times, uh, or, or even like I'll do, I'll do reverbs sometimes, but they're very natural reverbs for guitar. Like I, I like spring reverbs for guitar. And I like plates for guitar. I don't, and sometimes rooms for guitar. But generally, I don't do a whole lot of like big bright plates or you know big halls or anything. I, I rarely ever do that. It's usually a small room or um, a dark plate or a pretty dark spring. Or uh, mainly, my choice for guitars is delays. So like shorter delays, slap delays. Um, even like tape delay emulations, things like that. They usually sound great on guitars. Um, almost always for rhythm guitars, I'll either leave them dry or I will put a short delay on them. Um, I, I very rarely put anything more than that on the guitars. It's It really comes down to the performance, the selection of the guitar and the amp and the cab. Um, those, those things are the most important, like 70% of it. I would say the rest is the engineering skill and just sort of the overall talent that you have as a recording engineer, you know, making sure that you didn't record anything at weird levels or like way too hot or, you know, at weird distance, like 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 four feet out from the amp with an SM57 or something like that is going to probably sound really weird, um, stuff like, you know, so being a good engineer is, is the rest of that, honestly, and the gear is pretty minimal, maybe 10% of it in the end. Um, so that's about all the processing I do on guitars in the mix. And, uh, again, you know, you're listening to carve them out so that, so that the vocals can sit and everything. Very rarely can you just leave a guitar flat and it works perfectly. 
You know, I, I like to experience. I like tremolos a lot on clean guitars. I think tremolos can sound really cool. Vibrato can sound really cool. Even chorus sometimes. You know, I'm not a big chorus fan in general, but like chorus can sound really cool, tucked way down in a mix. It kind of adds some depth to the mix. Um, that sounds really good on clean guitars sometimes. But uh, modulated delays also sound really cool on guitars. Those those can sound awesome. All right, so let's let's try to wrap all these things together. And, and try to make sense of all four of these uh, interviews about playing in the studio and, and see what we can come up with that's similar among all of them. All of these guys, first of all, say that it's so important to play less than you might expect. Less is more, less is more, less is more. And that's not something that's just for the studio. That's g- in general. Most musicians overplay because they feel like they can. The truth is, it sounds bad and it sounds lame. And it sounds like you're inexperienced if you play if you play the whole song and overplay. Another thing that all of us say is that it's really good to understand, you know, what your place is and not get a big head, not get an ego, and just fill the spot that you need to fill. Now, another thing that we all say, and this is uh, well, and not necessarily that we sit in the interviews, but. Um, that's big for me in the studio is is just evenness in playing. Like you, you can't be all over the map, like strumming wise and pa- you know lead wise, and where your dynamics are just all over the place. You got you know super super huge notes and and then tiny tiny quiet notes. Um, generally, that just doesn't work that well. Like one thing that I always I always like totally don't understand is when guitar players will have a volume pedal post distortion. Uh, that doesn't make any sense to me because all distortion, all distortion is modeled after amps. Um, the original reason pedals were created was to create sort of a, a, a heightened amp sound, not to, you know, it, amps were made before pedals. <laughs> so, um, you know, all distortion originally came from guitar amps. And so when you put a volume pedal after distortion, it's like turning down your guitar amp at different sections. And you don't do that. You leave your guitar amp up. So it just doesn't make any sense to me why you would turn down, put a volume pedal post-distortion. It makes a lot more sense to put a volume pedal like almost first in your chain and use it as a gain controller that's a little more accurate to what an amp is doing. Um, the, another thing with like Les, Les was saying it usually sounds better when he will turn his rig up and then play quieter. I totally agree with guitar. If you're just playing loud the whole time, you got nowhere to go dynamically. So if you play maybe 70% volume for rhythms, just play at 70%, like your power, the power of your strums. And then when you go to your leads and you really bang the crap out of the strings, it'll sound awesome. And it'll also distort more. You'll have some room for your distortion. Um, And then when you can play quiet, it'll usually sound awesome. So that's another thing. Another thing that uh, Josh and I talked about a lot and that we agree on is that you just can't come up with a part and be like, oh, that's the part. You You have to learn to... Listen for what's best for the song. There's no such thing as a perfect guitar player. You can be the most amazing guitar player in the world, and you'll still have to experiment. I can't tell you that enough. So guitar players will often have it in their minds that the part they play is the part they play. But then when they hear it back and it sounds bad, they're like, "Uh, why'd you mic it that way? It doesn't sound good. And it's like, actually, it sounds that way because you're playing 
you're not even playing with rhythm with the bass and drums. You're not even listening to them. You're just playing to the click track. Like, when when guitarists and, and, and bassists and drummers all listen to each other, things happen. Good things happen. When keyboard players fill out the gap, keyboard players and guitarists are a lot more similar than you realize. A lot of the things that Ross said about keys playing really apply to guitar, too. Like, you generally will play less than you think, but it sounds bigger because you're taking up such a big space. And that really makes a big difference in the studio. I mean, especially in the studio, but also live. And, you know, I find that guitar players that understand this record so much better. They play evenly. They understand the dynamic movements of the song. They get louder. They play louder when the song gets louder. They play quieter when the song gets quieter. So, like, the like the verses are a little bit quieter than the choruses. Like, that's a huge thing for guitar players that they don't realize. Is like, if you're playing full volume in the verses, and I'm talking, like, pick, attack, like, you won't have anywhere to go for the chorus. And the chorus, generally, you want it to sound bigger. So, like, you know, you play just a tiny bit quieter in the verses, a tiny bit quieter in the choruses. It's not something that you really necessarily notice. Like, oh my gosh, the chorus is so much louder. But it's something that you feel. Like, you feel like the chorus has a little more power. Because it does. Because it's like, let's say everyone everyone in the whole band plays one decibel quieter in the verse. And there's six people in the band. That's six decibels quieter, essentially. You know what I mean? So, so if everybody in the band just plays the verse the tiniest bit quieter, the tiniest bit, the the chorus will seem huge in comparison. But so many bands just they don't understand that they'll they'll play basically the same volume the whole song, and not only does it sound boring. It sort of makes the engineer do more work later because the engineer is going to have to mix. Basically, uh, the mixer will have to automate back in some dynamics to make the verses seem just a touch quieter and then the choruses seem bigger. If the band is a little more in tune and understands, like on the show we talked about making exciting mixes, um, if the band's in tune and understands that each section has a volume, each section has got to have a volume, and there has to be some dynamic movement or nothing is going to sound big. So if you define the chorus as being the biggest thing, so you you play your heart out on the chorus, go for it. It's very stupid, in my opinion, to define the verse as just as big. Even just 5% smaller, the tiniest bit something. You know, like the difference between everyone else playing the same but the drummer playing on the hi-hat and then the drummer playing on the crash cymbal and then the guitarist playing muted then the guitarist playing open that sort of thing is enough like that's enough the bassist stays the same maybe the other guitarist even stays the same um a lot of times man it's it's just so you can seriously tell when a band is is in tune with each other by listening to their transitions and by listening to how the song moves dynamically and how much excitement there is from the dynamic movements. So um, anyway, all these things that you've heard in these shows are real things. These are real session players that get paid real money to come play on sessions that 
you know, they get paid because they're good. They get paid and they get calls back because they're good and they know what they're talking about. So please take their advice. I hope you take my advice. And um, I hope that you, you've you learned something about playing in a band, about playing with each other, and about listening to the way you're recording sound and really listening to the way you're playing. And also, you know, picking gear, picking parts, um, you know, figuring out how to find the groove of a song and figuring out what to listen to. I mean, I'm hoping that all these things you've sort of gotten at least some insight into from listening to these interviews. Um, so I thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this four-part series. There'll be another show at the end of February, and uh, that's going to be really cool also. So if you have any questions about this, email me, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. Check out the Facebook. It is facebook.com slash lounge. And see, you got the blog, recordinglounge.blogspot.com. Tell your friends. And um, if you if you do listen to the show, go over and find me on Facebook. And also, if you got the time, go over to iTunes and leave a review. I really appreciate the reviews that are on there so far. You guys are so kind. I really, really appreciate it. Um, if you just want to send me an email about anything to chat, do that. But also, I wanted to mention that I do freelance mixing and mastering, so if you want to record your stuff and you want to have me mix it and or master it, send me uh, some some questions or whatnot over the email, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com, and I will hook you up with a quote. So I love you guys. Thanks for tuning in, and I will talk to you guys soon.